Hello everybody, I'm absolutely delighted to have Mairead Omani with me today and she is the CEO of Aeon Solutions Ireland. Now we met when she was on one of my leadership programs and I can honestly tell you I was so impressed with her because she contributed in every session. She was such a keen and curious learner and I'm just delighted to watch her career flourish and grow and she's also become a wonderful friend so thank you so much for joining me today thank you for having me marianne delighted to be here oh it's so fun to talk to you so why did i ask you to be here on the breakthrough podcast well i think that look i always had a really big block with maths anyway so anything that had actuary in front of me i thought people who were actuaries were like superhuman beings like everybody kept telling me that it is the the most difficult thing to study, I swear, more than medicine or anything. So, so then I also know, and we'll talk about that a bit later more, that only 26% of actuaries in the US are female. I don't know what the numbers look like here. We can talk about that. But only 26% of actuaries. And then when I looked at what do these actuary women actually do, only 9.1% was in investment. And here you are, breakthrough, you have done investment, you've done wealth, and you're an actuary, and just a lovely human being. So for me, that is why you are here. You're very kind. I'm still very impressed. So my first question, tell us how you got to study this, how you navigated your career and your life, and how did you get to this point of being the CEO of Aeon Solutions? Okay, well, um, I suppose if I if I go right back to when I was in school, I I just always really liked maths, and it wasn't a big surprise. My mother is a maths teacher, so uh, it it just it came naturally to me, Marianne, and I enjoyed maths. It made sense to me, and I suppose the the default direction of travel might have been to become a maths teacher because that's what I saw at home. And that would have been it would have been a great career. But somewhere along the line, a maths teacher and I can't really remember which one, um, but a, a really a really supportive maths teacher intervened and mentioned to me uh, when I was in secondary school that maybe I should be thinking about actuarial. So she explained what it was um, and said, look, I really think you should learn more about it because I think you'd be good because you, you're really good with, with maths and with numbers. So I learned a bit more about it. Um, not a whole pile more about it is the truth of it, but I I decided I'd go to college to study it. Um, and so I did. I went to UCD to study actuarial um, and I did love it. And, you know, it, it did come just as naturally to me uh, in college as the numbers had in school, which was which was great. Um, and so I left, I left UCD, I qualified as an actuary, and I have worked as an actuary in the pensions and investment industry over the, the 20 years I've been, I've been working so far. But the ironic thing, though, is that along that journey, despite having gone for this career because of a love of numbers, I have found myself drawn more and more to things like people leadership, sales, strategy, 
what you might argue is the less numbers side of the business. And sometimes that would, would have been in roles along with the numbers. And sometimes it would have been in roles where the numbers were, were quite distant. Um, but, but it was something I never really anticipated. And it certainly wasn't what I thought originally that I'd be doing or that I'd be good at. But it has, it has been a bit of a theme in my career over the years. That is wonderful because I think that there's nothing more powerful than having a deep understanding that's technical, you know, whether you're a software developer or an actuary or an engineer, the kind of what people always thought about as left brain careers, but then having these magical human and people skills. Like for me, that's a superpower. Like what we're trying to see is people who are in those careers and AI and all these things are needing more human skills. And even if you look at LinkedIn, what they're asking for, they're asking for their skills. And then people who were in the very human side are needing a lot more digital skills. Mm. So it's kind of being balanced out a lot more. That's yeah. absolutely fascinating. Um, I wonder if I could just a follow up question to that. I sometimes feel like the engineers that I work with that become organization development consultants or leaders. I wonder if it's the same that the actuarial um, way of thinking actually helps you. Yeah, that's a really good observation. It does. So so part of the actuarial training is analytical skills mm. and um, learning how to make decisions in a methodical way. You know, there's a whole actuarial control cycle, which is one of the very first things you learn when you when you begin to, to study actuarial. So I think you're quite right. Um, it as a foundation of training, the actuarial skill set gives you a really great way to solve problems. Using numbers or not using numbers, actually. Mm. It gives you a framework with which you can step back, think about the problem, think about the different perspectives, and then jump back in to try and solve the problem with or without the numbers. I like that because I think leadership is learning and leadership is problem solving. And so that's all you kind of really do all day, isn't it? Whether it's humans, whether it's numbers, whether it's processes you're just problem solving that's right so that's fantastic tell me a little bit more about the industry how has it evolved how does it continue to change well it, great time for you to to ask me that question because um as i mentioned i work in the the pensions and investments industry in ireland and it is in the throes of the biggest change that most of us in the industry have seen in our careers so far. So as, as exciting a time as a pensions professional can claim to have in, in the working world at the moment. And what's going on is, um, is that pension plan stakeholders all around Ireland now are dealing with higher governance standards because of new legislation, which became effective at the end of, of 2022. And it's just stepping back, the purpose of the new legislation is around raising the bar in how pension plans are run so that every single member of every single pension scheme can have confidence that they're getting value for money and that their scheme is well run. So it's all good and with really positive intent. But of course, what that also means is there's a lot of extra work and a lot of extra cost for employers and trustees of pension plans. And what's driving a lot of this um, transformation that we're witnessing in the market is that for many employers, those extra costs are just unsustainable. Mm. So it's driving consolidation 
into industry-wide what we call master trust vehicles where all of that governance and oversight is done centrally and individual employers can leverage economies of scale and get access to better quality um, supports for their employees and better investment solutions than they would on a standalone basis. And we're seeing rapid growth in our own Aon Ireland Master Trust solution as a result of all of that. And we're also seeing a major shift in the profile of our client base. So for me, taking on a role like this one at a time of such significant change in our industry is really exciting. There's just so much to be done um, in navigating the business through to figuring out the new future, what needs to change, what should stay the same, and how are our client needs going to evolve? And then as if that new governance standard wasn't enough, Marianne, there's another generational change on the way for the Irish pensions world with auto enrollment legislation due in the second half of next year. And when that kicks in, it will mean that all employees of a certain age and above a certain earnings threshold will be automatically enrolled in saving for a pension. And that's going to result in 750,000 additional savers in Ireland for retirement. So our children will thank us for this. It mm. will be absolutely transformative for future generations and their readiness for retirement. But again, in the short term, it will be an additional burden for lots of employers on top of what's already come with IORP2. And it's not straightforward to figure out how best to implement auto-enrollment. So employers are going to need a lot of support from organisations like Aon and clarity on timing from the government. Mm. And if you think, it, it's a huge amount. And then if you think about what all of that means, right, if we break it down from the jargon and the legislation and the implications for employers, what does it mean for individual Irish workers? So if we step back and think about 50 years time, what, what will have changed? Well, we'd hope that future generations will be more prepared for retirement because we'll have more people saving and we should be seeing better outcomes as a result of the consolidation wave and the higher governance standards that IORP2 has brought in. So, so that, that's the vision. But I would like to think as well then that as we roll forward to the next generation, that talking about saving for retirement becomes a bit more of an everyday thing. Mm. I don't know if you've noticed, Marianne, but Irish people don't like to talk about money. Never, never. Yeah. We talk about everything but money. We, absolutely. But I, I, I wish this was something we would talk about more. Like we talk a lot about buying a house, actually, mm. when mm. we're at that stage. But retirement mm. is the biggest financial transaction that most of us will ever undertake. Mm. And the more we plan and the earlier we save, the easier our lives in retirement are going to be. So I'd love to think that once we get past this current wave of, of transformation and once we are in a position to build on this incredible milestone of introducing auto enrollment, that as a nation, we start to think about our broader financial wellness and how we help people to feel confident with money and empowered to make good decisions. And for me, a lot of that starts in schools. Mm. So the benefit of having a good financial wellness module in primary or secondary school or both, where you're integrating the principles of retirement planning and how important it is. I think if we could do that, that would really be 
beneficial for, for generations to come. I agree because I'm, you know, in my work as a future of work strategist, we know that these kids are going to live to 100. And so they're probably going to have a 60 year career. Right. right. And so they, they don't like it when I tell them the young people, by the way, that they're going to work for 60 years, but then they have to sustain themselves, you know, yeah. between 70 and 100. And that's 30 yeah. years. So that's a big thing to have to manage, yeah. right? And Absolutely. that's to reskill and upskill themselves along the way and keep themselves, you know, that's all the work that I have to do. So you, you and I have to work together to make we this do. happen. We do. The other thing, of course, is um, what I'm noticing and I, I love personally is, is what we invest in, isn't it? That's also changing. People want organizations to invest in positive things, um, not in the wrong things. Yeah, ab absolutely. And for me, uh, you know, in thinking about about this organization and where the where the benefit is going to be in terms of bang for our buck, it is all about people. It is absolutely all about investing and in training and development, because, again, as we think about the way in which the world I'm working in has changed so much in the last few years and is going to continue mm -hmm. to change. New skills are required. Yeah. You know, what worked in servicing a pension plan in the old world doesn't necessarily work today because master trust clients have completely different needs. Yeah. And that means that our consultants need to have very different skills. Mm -hmm. And so the onus is on us as an organization to ensure that we're training our people to meet the new world with confidence. And then AI is also coming for them. So, you know, there's a lot, uh, we're seeing about 100 days of training a year now in organizations that are just keeping up. 100 wow. days of training wow. a year. Mm -hmm. I know it's, it's huge. Okay, so now tell me what you think is your breakthrough or, or women actuaries breakthrough. Um, what, how would you describe your breakthrough? Well, um, I was thinking a little bit about this and I think for me, it's a very personal one. Um, I think I had a career breakthrough about 10 years ago now, Marianne, when I went back to work after having my first child. Um, because before having her, I worked because that's what you do. And also because I needed money, but that's what you do. You have a job and you work. But once I had her, maybe because of societal norms, maybe because my mother had been in a position to spend a lot of time at home with us as a teacher, I started to question whether I'd go back to work at all, irrespective of whether I could afford to or not. You know, it's just, where, where is my role now? Mm. Um, so I started weighing up the pros and cons of staying home, of the lifestyle choices we'd have to make differently, how I might feel, how the whole family might feel, so I went back to work anyway. Um, I still hadn't really made up my mind, but very quickly after I went back to work, I realized that, yes, I want to work. I enjoy making a difference for my clients. I want to have purpose and I want to challenge myself and grow. So that was a, that was a, great, a great realization. But what a poison chalice self-awareness is, because just as quickly as I realized that I definitely wanted to work, I also realized that the role that I was doing at the time was probably not really doing it for me because I didn't get that sense of purpose and I wasn't growing 
And I definitely wanted to make my time at work count to have that be meaningful. If I was going to work and be away from my baby, I wanted to make sure that that time counted. So luckily for me, as I was having this, this, this epiphany, I had a really enlightened and supportive manager at the time who took the time to talk all of that through with me. And he encouraged me not to jump straight into that old role, but to take my time and look around the organization at what else might be right for me. So again, I was just really, really lucky that this new, bigger leadership role came up. Now it was in an adjacent business. It was in an area I didn't really have much experience. It wasn't deemed, you know, the popular or the sexy area at the time. And it was a big step up for me. So it was, it was not the obvious choice at all. But he encouraged me to go for it. So imposter syndrome didn't have a chance to set in. I just, I just had to go for this. Even though I was the outsider, um, I got it. And it turned out in the years that followed, I was good at it. And in that job, I found so much purpose and so much challenge and so much growth. I got to try so many new things. And it set me on a path which has been so enjoyable and really has led me to where I am today. And so the lessons I learned from that, my breakthroughs were around making sure you take the chance, that growth comes outside of your comfort zone. And for me, and I hope now also for my little girl, Olive, who's, who's nearly 10, and her brother and her sister who came after, um, that we're all happiest when we're stretching ourselves, that when we're working towards a purpose, we feel better. When we're challenging ourselves, we're at our best. And I would really hope that that's a lesson that will follow through to the kids as well as, as, well as it has for me. I love that. I think there's so many women listening to this right now, struggling with exactly these things and just going, wow, thank you so much for sharing that because it also strikes me how important it is for managers to spend that time with people mm. um, and really help you craft your future. That was pivotal, that kind of leadership of noticing and caring and sponsoring. You know, yeah. you had a good sponsor. Because I always yeah. say to female leaders, yes, you can get mentorship and go to women's leadership programs, but at the end of the day, it's allyship and sponsorship that really makes the difference and, and it right. absolutely has to be there. And you had an ally and a sponsor right there. It doesn't have to be a man. Sometimes other women hold women back. But yeah. that sponsorship and allyship yeah. is so critical. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say, I have to say that particular manager was um was it was amazing. So transformative for me in terms of the journey up to that point in how he led the business and how he supported me and and particularly in that moment in encouraging me to do something which really wasn't in his interests mm -hmm. you know mm. but but he could see that it was that it was important to me and it was the right thing for him to do as a leader and ultimately it was in the, the greater good for the whole organization because I found myself in in a role which played much more to my strengths and and delivered what I needed at that point in time. So people, be like Maraid in terms of jumping towards this and living purpose and be like that leader because there's allyship, there's sponsorship, but there's also no talent hoarding happening. There's yeah. a talent sharing. There's an abundance of talent in the organization. And 
we need to, if we want to have retention, that internal mobility is so important because you could have left the organization at that point. That's right. And That's we do right. have leaky pipelines when people are hoarded and not let go, then we lose that amazing talent that we've had. Uh, tell me a little right. bit about, you know, if you don't mind, coming to where you are now because you're still now in a very senior role and you're kind of working um, kind of in a hybrid way um, and there's a lot of responsibility. What are the current things that you're kind of working on right now to, to be the best self that you can be? Um, for me, to be the best self that I can be. So <clears throat> two things I would say, Marianne, um, that I need to consistently come back to remind myself of. So I'll do well and then I'll step back and realize I'm not and have to keep coming back to these two things. The first is around a growth mindset, um, reminding myself that anything is possible, reframing problems to focus on the possibilities, the learning opportunities and making sure that I am doing that for the rest of the team. And the other thing is around ruthless prioritization. So oh, yes. there will never be an end to the list of things that I could yes. do. Yes. There will never be an end to that list. Mm. So I know that I'm gonna to have to make difficult choices and prioritize. But the funny thing is I have observed when I take the time to step back that those are two areas where when I am most under pressure, I tend to forget. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it's the hardest thing of all to resist mm. the urge to think that I can do it all. Yeah. So when I'm under pressure, my default is to work longer, harder, mm. put mm. more things on the to-do list. Mm. But when I step back, I know that that is not the answer and that impacts the quality of the decisions that I make because I'm no longer prioritizing and I'm no longer in the right headspace to maintain that growth mindset. Mm. So one of the things I am, I am working on very hard at the moment is to ensure that I have enough in my week, in my day, in my month, of time with family and friends and time just for me, because I know from bitter experience that the most productive thing you can do sometimes is to take a rest to ensure the quality of your work the next day or the next week or the next month is as good as it can be. And it, it takes a lot of discipline to make sure I have that balance in my week with enough time for everything in order to ensure productivity at work. So that's something I'm I'm working on very hard at the moment. And I think I probably always will, to be honest. Yeah. yeah, I think that's for all of us. You know, just because we can do so much doesn't mean and achieve so much doesn't mean we should. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Um, you know, I think it's it's for me when we do adult development theory, if we look at ego action logics, what happens is our I think you and I both our achievers kick in under pressure. Yes. Right. So that's the working yeah. longer, working harder, yes. taking on more. It's that achiever. Yeah. Um, and then take stepping away and taking an outside perspective, having a rest. And the other thing I say to people is high performance teams like, you know, I've worked with some elite sports teams that don't play one game and then the next game and the next game. They play yeah. the game, then they go and rest yeah. and then they yeah. go and get massages <laughs> and then they train again. 
<laughs> spend time with their families and then they go and play the next game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we should do the same. Those are fantastic pieces of advice. Um, I also know that you manage a team remotely, as do a lot of people. Have you got any advice for people on how to to manage remote teams well? Hmm. Interesting. Um, I I think it will always be more challenging than managing completely in the flesh. I. I work hard to ensure that I have FaceTime with my direct reports as much as I can. We as a leadership team come together in person once a month and we try to do something social together twice a year as, as a broader team. But I think um, in, while managing in the remote, it's all about just ensuring you have the right communication cadence going on so that you have your regular one-to-one check-ins and group check-ins in the hybrid environment. We have a little Teams chat group going on where people can share news that's relevant to everybody. One of the things I would like to do more of is share some of our personal successes, which I think are some of the things you miss out on in the virtual world. You know, you don't get to hear the person Mm. taking the call from someone to say happy birthday. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, see someone coming back from lunch with a smile on their face and wonder what just went on and have the conversation about the friend they just met. That's the stuff you miss out on. So trying to figure out how we might do a little bit more of that. But it, mm-hmm. it, it, I don't know that it will. I think as long as we keep thinking about how we remain connected in the hybrid world, that's probably the best way to do it. I don't know that there is one single approach to this that cracks all of the additional dynamics of the remote world there isn't and and all the things you've mentioned are pretty much what we would say to people so you're doing that really well but i i think you're absolutely right about you know do you have when you know when i was a chair of a board and we were in lockdown i would literally have a dinner every three months with everybody getting their meal and their glass of wine and we would sit virtually and have dinner together and just talk ah. about life you know what i mean wow yeah so so not a board meeting but just a, a dinner together as a board yeah. Yeah. you know and because we just couldn't get together so you know, I, I think there are ways of creating kind of virtual water coolers. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, yeah. people are so busy, though, right? So I, I know it's always a balance. They're not overdoing that either. But I think yeah. those are those are great things. So I think we've spoken about a lot of your beliefs, behaviors and habits. I don't know if you've got any to add, anything else that you do that would be worthwhile mentioning? Uh, no, I think we've covered it. Yeah, I think we've covered it. I think so too. Uh, what are you going to tackle next in your in your career, in your business, without giving us any secrets? Um, well, I, 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 I don't know if I mentioned earlier, but I am new to this role. So I, I joined Aon just over a year ago. And um, obviously, a new role, new team, new organization. There's been a lot of learning from the ground up for me in the last while. Um, And I feel like what I haven't been able to give as much time as I would like to is curiosity about what else goes on in this organization. Mm -hmm. So we have 750 colleagues in Ireland. We have tens of thousands of colleagues worldwide. You know, I'm really curious to learn more about 
the different ways in which we solve problems for clients because that's what I'm doing in my little microcosm of Aeon and I know everybody else is doing it in different ways in, in all of their parts and I know that we can learn so much from each other and I'm really excited to hear more about the creative ways in which we're solving those problems in different geographies and different solution lines and then think about how we might collaborate to a greater extent. The whole Aeon model is around Aeon United. Together we are more than the sum of our parts. So I'm, I'm excited to explore that to a greater extent in the years ahead. That's fantastic. I think, again, it's just that, that you've got to do external networking, but you've also got to do internal networking, right? Yeah. Um, because there's just a lot that does, you know, that we redo when we don't do that. Um, that's so that's fantastic. Now, where can people find you if they want to follow you, if they want to connect with you? Are you open to people connecting with you? Yeah, yeah, sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Mairead Omani. Mm -hmm. Yes. And if you don't know how to spell Irish names, when I post this, um, <laughs> I will put it all up there. It's taking me a while, but I'm, I'm kind of getting there. I'm not perfect yet. I don't even think I said your surname correctly, but I'm trying. I, I go on to I go on to YouTube and I listen to our names pronounced. Well, you got it, you got it quite right, Marianne. <laughs> Thank you. I I got two different options as well, which is not fabulous. <laughs> you got it. Tell me what final thoughts you'd like to share. Well, well, I suppose the, on the basis that this is a leadership podcast, um, I think it's it it will be worth just sharing with listeners. Um, something in relation to diversity. So I'm, I'm an actuary, as you mentioned at the beginning, Marianne, and in the last number of years, I've had the opportunity to be involved in the diversity and inclusion group within the Society of Actuaries, where I met some wonderful people and we did some really meaningful work together. And one of those was a project which unearthed the fact that girls leaving school and college today are much, much less likely to want to become actuaries or indeed to pursue any STEM subjects than they would have been in my day, wow. which came as a real surprise um, because when I left college or when I, when I went to college um, in, back in 99, um, there was a, almost a 50-50 balance between girls and boys in my starting, my starting year. And I know that the numbers had been trending upwards in the years before that in terms of female participation in that degree, which was wonderful. But naively, I thought that meant the job was done. And so when I learned in the last number of years that those numbers have trended right backwards again, so that it's about 70% male and 30% female in today's new actuarial classes, it's just, it's really disappointing. And it's something that I feel we as leaders have a responsibility to do something about. So for anyone listening who is in a position of, um, of hiring or building teams or promoting talent, I suppose, just to be aware of this and to do all you can to ensure diversity of the pipeline of candidates coming through and um, nurture your female pipeline, make sure you find the opportunities for them to grow and progress and that you're creating an environment in which all of our best people, male and female, can thrive. Because we have to be so deliberate about that or else we're not going to see change based, based on the numbers that we see coming through now. 
And I suppose the other thing is for anyone listening who has daughters, we need to encourage them. We need to actively find ways for our girls to have exposure to women doing science subjects, women in leadership roles in STEM industries. And we need to make sure that our girls know they can follow their passion wherever that takes them. And I say all of this from a from a really selfish place in terms of ensuring that the pipeline into our profession and into our industry is as diverse as it can be for all of the, the reasons we all know in terms of diversity generating better outcomes. But it is a problem that will be that will need to be resolved as as we go forward. And I, I think that um, it's important for us all to be aware of that backward trend, which is just so disappointing. You know, I am sitting here and from a selfish point of view, I also want more women in this profession. And I think part of the problem is, you know, there's not great career counselling anywhere, but also I think it really is just so limited where, where people can actually find out what careers. But people think it's a it's a it's a dry area, it's a it's a too logical. But I actually think if you think of the careers you can have. And if you think about sustainable investment, that is so exciting. Mm. That is so mm. exciting. Mm. Um, and also, if you think about wealth management for women and making yeah. sure that women have proper pensions, that because women yeah. don't have the same pensions as men, yeah. just impacting gender outcomes, impacting sustainable outcomes, because investment investments, super funds and innovation retirement funds, do a lot of investment in green energy and all these problems yeah. we're trying to solve in the yeah. world. So for me, it is actually a very, if I may use the word, sexy thing to go and do. And I think people don't see it that way. And we have to rebrand it because it's sexy. Yeah. It's solving yeah. some really big problems. Yeah. And you can be a serious champion for a different world in this industry, couldn't you? Quite right. Quite right. And the opportunities for people to develop their numeracy skills, but they're also their communication skills, their commercial acumen, their leadership skills. So, you know, this, this industry, our profession as actuaries more broadly than the, the pensions and investment world, it offers huge opportunity for people with the right skill set. And it is a real shame that we don't have the pipeline that we should have, that it just seems to have become um, so much less diverse and that there are there are people out there in their 20s and, and their late teens who could be great in this world and who haven't even thought of it as a yeah. potential route for them. Yeah, people think about this as a route, think about this for your kids for me, it's important. It's only going to grow in importance as people live longer, as they've got to figure this out, right? Um, as they've got to. So, so for me, uh, this as we put this into schools, as we we get much better at this, um, this is a significant, fabulous career to follow, and you can become a CEO, <laughs> which is wonderful because I want lots more. Um, all right, so of course we have to have a fun question because we can't just be serious. Um, and you're not allowed to take either your partner or your phone. But if you were stranded on a desert island all by yourself, what is the one thing you could not live without? Well, so I, ha I have a question now. This is the actuary in me coming out. You say I can't have my partner. Mm -mm. Can I have my kids? Of course you can have your I kids. I can have my kids. Well, then there's my answer. <laughs> my kids. That is beautiful. I've had some fabulous answers so far.
the food futurist wanted to take his his, his two favorite food condiments because he couldn't live without that, which was just so funny. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, a lot of people want to take books. I'm going to take a book on how to survive a desert island. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. Um, so we've had already some really, really fabulous um, answers so far. Um, but look, that was so much fun. And what I just take out of this again is that Anything is possible if you have a growth mindset. Anything is possible if you take care of yourself and give yourself the energy and the time. Anything is possible if you take time to think about your purpose and what makes you happy, right? And you can craft your own future. Um, you don't have to wait for others to make that decision, but also be the leader who sponsors people. Be the leader who shares talent, be the leader and the parent who tells your kids about all the opportunities and careers that are out there, right? Don't wait for the schools to do it. You know, I, I know from my own experience that my parents were the ones who, you know, encouraged me into the areas. And I was really lucky because my father was a businessman and knew, you know, very global picture of the world and, and saw what my strengths were and really worked hard at that and also believed I could do anything my brothers could do. Mm. which was already great, but be that parent um, so that we can create a world full of people who are highly qualified. We can't just have influencers in the world and YouTubers. Mm. We really, really need to. And I think the other thing, right, I would just say as a last point is I think a lot of young people are just put off the corporate world, that yeah. the, what they see as, as, as the current state of organizations. They just don't even want to work or what it is like to work in the oil and gas industry. So we have the same problem with female engineering. This is not just, like you said, yeah. it's STEM, right? Yeah. They look at it, they hear the stories, they see the newspaper cuttings. We've got a current issue with the Soccer World Cup and they go, hmm, yeah. do I want to be part of a sports organization with this kind of culture? We've had an issue with the Irish army. Do I want to yeah. go into an army where these things happen? So yeah. we have to make sure that we don't just rebrand the careers, but that we also make sure that we build really psychologically safe organizations for our people and inclusive. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Thank you so much for your time. That was just fantastic. I hope you enjoyed the chat as much as I did. I really did. I really did, Marianne. And thank you again for asking me to participate. It's a real honor. Thank you.